But today, we're beginning a new series, and, and to say new series is not exactly accurate, because every few years, I like to circle back around to this series, because I think it's important for us to stay in contact and stay in, in, in frame of mind of, of what we do. And the series is called The Cross and the Empty Tomb. And we're going to take the next few weeks and we're going to talk about some of these things. Now, I'm going to have a lot of scripture for you today. Uh, I try not to put multiple passages in one sermon because then we're flip-flopping all through the Bible. And if you're not real familiar with some of where some of these things are, it can kind of just, you know, it can cause us to lose traction. So all the scriptures that I'm going to use are going to be on the screen today. Now, you're welcome to, to turn to them. I'm going to be in Acts. I'm going to be in 1 Corinthians. I'm going to be in Mark. I might even touch Hebrews, uh, but all of those that, that I read will be on the screen. Now, as I read them, there's going to be yellow text in some of those. I want you to read those for me, okay? Okay, so now when you see one, don't be hesitant. Just jump in and read it loud. I mean, when we get there, of course. Uh, don't, you know, make sure we read them all at the same time, because I think that'll help us to really grasp what, uh, what we're talking about. So we're talking about the cross and the empty tomb. And what we're doing with this series is we're looking at why we do certain things as Christians, okay? Why we do certain things as a church. And so that's what we'll be talking about for the next few weeks. You know, and you hear stories like this all the time, you know, why people do certain things the way they do. You know, somebody told me, and it might have been somebody here, about their their mother and their grandmother who would bake something, a, a meatloaf or something, and, uh, or they'd get it together and they'd cut the end of it off. And so this sort of began to be like a, a generational thing. And finally a daughter said, well, why do you do this? You know, what makes that special? Why do you have to do that? And it's just, it turned out the original answer was, well, I didn't have a pan big enough. You know, I had to cut the end of it off. You know, there was no really good reason for it. It was just that they didn't have the, uh, enough space, so they had to cut some of it off. Or, you know, I remember hearing about a church that split, had a tremendous fight because of communion, actually something about communion, because years ago, churches a lot of times would cover the communion table, okay, with a white cloth that looked very holy and sanctified. Well, then all of a sudden, this church decided they didn't have to do that anymore, and it caused an uproar. To the point that the church was about to split. And finally, somebody with some wisdom said, Hey, why? What's the, before we you know, destroy this church body, what's the reason that we do this? And so they went and uh, you know, they, they, everybody offered their best explanation. And finally, one of the old timers spoke up and said, Well, it's because we didn't have air conditioning. We had to leave the windows open. That was to keep the flies out of communion. <laughs> you know, there was nothing holy about covering communion, it was about sanitary issues, you know. They didn't want flies getting all over the bread and then the grape juice, you know. Uh, not that they tried to exclude flies from communion, but you know, they, uh, that was the reason for it. And this church was about to, to just tear itself apart because of that. We do crazy things a lot of times and we don't ask why, right? You know, college football season has just begun and if you are a college football fan, you know there are things that you do that if somebody were to see you, you'd, we'd be scratching our heads. 
You know, why do you do that? Why do you act that way? The answer is because it's college football season and people do crazy things. Well, we want to think about that in regards to the church. If you've been a churchgoer for any amount of time at all, then you know and you have an expectation that there are certain things that are, are going to happen when you come to worship. You know, you expect there to be singing. You expect there to be Bible reading, okay? You expect that someone will stand up and deliver a, a message from the Bible. Or if your background is a more high church tradition, that might even be called a, a homily. But it is a message usually about Jesus that is going to come from the Bible, okay? Uh, if In churches like ours, you can expect to do what we just participated in, and that was communion. That the bread is going to be passed, that the tray that has the juice is going to be passed, that it will not be covered with a white sheet to keep flies off of it, because we have lids. Genius idea. You know, but there are, you know, there's, there's reasons why we do those things, okay? Um, and you know that in almost any church of any stripe, there is almost always going to be a collection plate that goes by you at some point that asks you to give your money, okay? And there are reasons that those things happen, but I think a lot of times people just come to church and they just, they have that expectation and everybody may not fully understand it. All of those things basically happen every Sunday in, in most churches, but have you ever taken the time to just stop and ask, why? Why is it that we do the things that we do? You see, and I think it is important for us, I think it is important for us to circle back around to these questions every few years because I think we need to have answers to that question, don't you? Because you've probably invited somebody to your church to our church before or had a conversation about church before and they ask about it and you tell them something about it okay and they want to know why you do it okay I'm been talking with somebody right now who is saying you guys sing way too much okay yeah but and it's not like uh, like this person's being rude but it's like why the, the, the question behind it is why do you sing you know does there really have to be singing in church? Okay, and we need to be able to, to, to answer those questions. And so for the next few weeks, that's what we're going to be talking about. You know, why do we go to church? Why are we baptized? Okay, and I know there are a couple of people in here, even today, that are either thinking about baptism or have asked a question about baptism and might be curious about that. And so I'm going to take two weeks and talk about why we are baptized and the need for that. And hopefully those things will be really helpful in, in helping, hopefully, to see baptisms come as a result of this. But I think, the, I think that information can be really helpful to us. We're going to talk about why we take communion, you know, why we pass the bread, why we pass the cup, why we do these things. You know, why do we give our money to the church? Is it just to make sure the lights are on? Is it just to... To, to pay me to stand up here and talk to you for, for 40 minutes? Or is there something deeper to that? You know, why do we serve? 
Why do we worship? You see, I think for, for many people, the answers to, to those questions, you know, why we do these things, I think the answer for a lot of people is, well, because that's just what you do at church. You know what I'm saying? Why do you do these things? Well, it's church. It'd be weird to do them anywhere else. <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> we just do them at church because that's the only place where they don't seem weird. Okay, and yeah, that's an answer, but it's not a great answer, right? Or it might be that, well, you know, that's how I was raised. You know, and, and a lot of people, they offer that answer. Uh, the reason we do those things, you know, I just, we, I grew up going to church. My family went to church. I went to church. My kids go to church. That's, that's how I was raised, but maybe they've never stopped to think about why do we do that? Why do we sing? Why do we give? Why do we serve? Why do we, why do we take communion? Others, their answer might be, and it, it, it very seriously might be, that the reason I do these things is because I, you know, I don't want to, to go to hell. Others, out of a, a very serious conviction, will say, well, because the Bible says so. Okay, that's why we do it. And yes, that, that is an answer. And those are all answers, but I think we can do better with those answers. Because while those are answers, when we hear those, my, my question is, where is the power behind those? You know what I'm saying? Where's the conviction? Why do I give my money? Why do I get up every single Sunday morning and come here to worship when I could be at home asleep in bed? Okay? Why do I do that? Well, it's because I was raised that way. Because I got nothing better to do. Because, you know, those are good reasons. Well, they're reasons. Yeah. But I want to know the better reason. The real reason. I want to know, I want to be able to, and I want you to be able to offer a compelling reason for why we do these things. Does that make sense? And so that's why I think it is important for us to circle back around to these things every few years so that we know how to give an answer. And I really wish I, really I would have done some man-on-the-street stuff and just gone and just asked random people about these things, you know? And so just think about this. If I were to just stop and ask you, why do we worship? And don't answer right now. This is rhetorical. But if I just asked you, why do we worship, what would your answer be? If I said, why do we take communion? Could you answer that question? If I asked you, why are we baptized? Could you, could you answer that question? Or rather, could you answer it differently than, well, that's just what the church does? Or that's what, how I was raised? Or, you know, or, or, or something like that. The goal is to help us have compelling answers to those questions. Okay? For ourselves, first and foremost, because we need to be informed and we need to have passion and compassion about why we do these things, right? But we also need to have that for other people, okay? When we invite our unchurched friends to church, okay? Uh, the person that I mentioned is not altogether unchurched, but he struggles with, why do you, why do you sing so much? There seems like there should be other things going on and to be able to say well just because we like to sing okay yeah that's a pretty good reason 
but I want to be able to offer something more, more compelling. You see, I think the reason why Christianity sometimes seems so powerless to many in the watching world could have something to do with our motives for why we do what we do. You know? Our unchurched friends ask us, why do you go to church? Well, because my mama told me I had to go to church. Okay? All right. You know, we want to be able to offer something more. When we convert someone to Christ and we tell them to go to church, tell them to serve, tell them to, to, to give because it's their duty, which often we've done that, I've done that, I'm guilty of that, okay? I've told people, okay, now that you're a Christian, here is your duty as a Christian. And yes, there are some things that I think we need to do, but to say that as the primary reasons for why we do them is to undersell the sacrifice of Jesus. Come on now. That undersells Jesus, right? Amen, yes. That undersells Jesus, and what that does is it reduces his sacrifice into an exchange of religious goods and services, which is based on works, which is what our communion reading just spoke out against. We're saved by what? Grace, not by, so that no one can boast. So we don't do it to get merit, right? Going to church doesn't earn me anything. Taking communion doesn't earn me anything. See what I'm saying? What's the compelling reason? Because to say we do these things just because it's duty, well, that's legalism. And all of those reasons, you know, those are reasons to do things. Some are better than others, but none of them are the reason why. So here it is, and you already know this. The reason, the reason why we do all of these things is because of the cross and the empty tomb. And it's in that answer that I think we find our compelling and convicting reasons. Now then, one of my professors says that nuance is your friend. Okay? And so for the next several weeks, we're going to nuance what that means. And it's going to be nuanced as we talk about baptism. It's going to be nuanced as we talk about communion. Nuanced as we talked about why we give and why we go to church and, and, and some of these other things. We're going to break it down a little bit more. But ultimately, the reason why we do all of these things is because of the cross and because of the empty tomb. Now then, let me ask you, isn't that a far better reason than any of the other ones we've talked about? Yes. Wouldn't that be more convincing? Why do you go to church? Well, because I have to. Why do you go to church? Got nothing better to do. Why do you go to church? I go to church because Jesus died for me. Because he set me free from a life of brokenness, a life of emptiness. And so that's what we're going to spend our time talking about for the next few weeks. And so today we're going to look at some of those things. We're going to talk 
about the cross, and we're going to talk about the empty tomb. We're fixing to look at part of Peter's sermon that he delivered in, uh, on the day of Pentecost. We're going to talk about the message that Paul laid out to the, to the Corinthians. We're going to talk about something that Jesus said, and he talked about cross-bearing. So let's jump into this. In Acts 2, you know, it's the day of Pentecost, which is uh, the day that the church was born. Okay, it was, it was 50 days after Passover, Pentecost. Okay, so 50 days later, it's this other big, uh, big festival. And Peter, one of the disciples, is filled with the Holy Spirit, and he stands up and he begins to preach. And this is his first sermon. This is the first sermon after Jesus' resurrection and ascension up to heaven. And he starts laying it out on the very people who crucified Jesus. Okay, so let's read this. Remember, you're part of the yellow, so read it really loud. He said this, You that are Israelites, listen to what I have to say. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with deeds of power, wonder, and signs that God did through him among you, as you yourselves know this man, handed over to you according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of those outside the law. But God raised him up, having freed him from death. Because it was impossible for him to be held in its power. You don't see the word cross in there. You don't read the word empty tomb in there, but that is exactly what Peter is talking about. He is saying Jesus, as God's Son, came down here, and it was evidenced by the powers, by the wonders, by the signs, by all of these things he did. Okay, And yet you, you killed him, you crucified and killed him. Okay, That's the cross right there. Okay, they turned him over to the Romans, and the way a Roman would kill anybody would be to nail him to a cross. Okay, it was a humiliating death. It was excruciatingly painful, but it was excruciatingly shameful as well. And then he's saying, you did this. You failed to recognize, or you failed to put your complete trust in him, and so you crucified Jesus by nailing him to the cross. But here is what God did. God, what raised him up out of where? The tomb. God raised him up. He brought him out of the tomb. And he freed him from death. Because it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Now, that's the cross and the empty tomb right there. Okay, and it's so important because when Jesus comes out of the tomb, resurrected, he broke the power of sin and death. We, then, are no longer subject to death in that way. Because of the cross, because of the empty tomb, we no longer have to be slaves to that sin the sin that, that, that separates us from God. Paul believed this so much that this is what he talked about all the time. And so he wrote to the Corinthian church in, in, in chapter 15, 
He says, for I handed on to you as of first importance. In other words, the most important thing that I've said to you, and that was a lot of stuff, the most important thing that I said to you, that's what I gave to you first. It was of first importance. What I in turn had received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. And that He was buried. And that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Do you see it again? There's the cross and the empty tomb. Christ died, but He didn't just die. He died for what? For our sins. Sins is just, I mean, just we know what sin is, but just in case we don't, Sin is it's missing the mark. It's falling short of the standard that God sets for us. Okay? It's not doing what God asks of us. It's not following God. It's not loving people. It's not living a, a, a sacrificial life for the benefit of, of others and for the, the kingdom of God. It's getting enthralled in lusts and all of these other kinds of things. It's doing things that are outside of God's will. But Jesus died for all of that junk, okay? Think about all the bad stuff that we have in our lives, okay? Now, what I want us to do right now, this microphone is on, just step up and come confess your deepest, darkest sins right here. Who's first? Nobody. Why? Because we're ashamed. We're ashamed of those things, are we not? Even though we've been forgiven, isn't there still some of that shame with that? Christ died to break us out of all of that stuff. Isn't that awesome? Christ died for our sins. And I think it would be safe to say, and our shame. Right? He took on our sins and our shame. The shame that we feel, Christ took for us. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? I mean, I just, I mean, just have to stop. Let that, let that sit down on you for just a minute. That's what the death of Jesus did. He he took that. I mean, all you can say is thanks be to God. But he died for our sins. And he was buried. Where was he buried? In the tomb. But he didn't stay in the tomb. God raised him on the third day, which means that the tomb was no longer full. It was empty. When the tomb became empty... Death lost all its power. And that's pretty awesome. And we get to, we get to experience that. Now, in, uh, also in 1 Corinthians, later on, it says, uh, it said, if Christ had not been raised, then our proclamation has been in vain, and your faith has been in vain. What he's saying is basically, if the cross and the empty tomb, if it's not about that, our faith is useless. You know, there's, no, there's no foundation. There's no, there's no point to it. 
but it's about the cross and it's about the empty tomb. But there's, there's another reason for why we do the things that we do. So let's just keep digging a little deeper and let's look at the words of Jesus. In Mark 8, it says, He called the crowd with His disciples and He said to them, If any want to become My followers... Yes, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. Those who want, who will lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life indeed? What can they give in return for their life? Did you see what it says? Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, take up what? Being nice to people. Take up making sure you come to as many church services as possible. No. Take up what? The cross. We struggle with this in America. Come on, that should have been the biggest amen of the day. I'm going to say that again. I'm going to give you another shot at that one. We struggle with this in America. Because we like ourselves. But Jesus says, if you are going to follow me, you must take up a cross and follow me. One of my professors, uh, Lee Camp, uh, he has this to say about this. He says, it's common practice to spiritualize Jesus' cross in the lives of believers. But Jesus' call to bear the cross is not mere counsel that we should be patient in illness or persevere in grief or persist in suffering. The call to bear the cross is not mere spiritual counsel that we must patiently bear the suffering borne by all humanity, whether sickness or betrayal or failed dreams, and whether followers of Jesus or not. Surely our faith graces us with such virtues as perseverance. But this is not what is meant by take up your cross and follow me. Instead, Jesus would have us know that taking up the way of the kingdom means taking up a cross. That taking up the way of the kingdom means that we shall have to bear the brunt and fear of a yet unredeemed world. You know, we tend to, to spiritualize the cross. I don't think Jesus is calling us to spiritualize a cross. I think He's calling us to pick up our cross daily and bear it. So it's not just about being spiritually patient. Okay, it's not just about spiritually persevering in our illness or in our grief or in our suffering. When Jesus says take up a cross and follow him, he means that we have to bear the brunt and the brutality and the fear of a world that is still to be turned to Jesus. To still be unredeemed. In other words, you remember a few weeks ago when we talked about step into the mess? That is cross-bearing. 
stepping into the mess with people, serving with people, sharing our lives with people, living self-sacrificially. Taking up our cross means bearing the cost of faithfulness to the way of Christ. It means dying to self and sacrificing ourselves for others. It's getting our hands dirty. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a a German pastor, a theologian, eventually became a, a, a spy during World War II and ultimately was hung for his role in trying to bring down Hitler in the Third Reich as he worked subversively to try to end the tyranny of evil that was going on during the 30s and 40s. He said, when Jesus bids us to take up our cross, he bids us come and die. Now then, Luke, and you've, we've talked about this before, Luke adds uh, like, a, like a, a quality word to that statement. He says, take up your cross daily. Which means every single day, as American Christians, we must take up our cross, which is serving others trying to bring reconciliation into a world that is yet unreconciled to God. Trying to bring peace where there is no peace. Trying to bring healing to a broken world, to broken people. You see, when we commit ourselves to Jesus because of the cross and the empty tomb, We also commit ourselves to a cross. It's a cross to serve. It's a cross to carry the burden for others. You see, if we don't understand the the empty tomb, then the cross is too scary. It's It's too risky. It means we have to die to our our selfish ways, but that is no more scarier than death without hope in Christ. Christ is calling us to something more. Hebrews 2 tells us that the work of Christ on the cross enables us to live a life of love and and service and forgiveness without the fear of consequences. We don't live in fear of, of death because of the resurrection, because of the, because of the empty tomb. I'll just read this to you. It says, Since therefore the children share flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared the same things, so that through death he, Jesus, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. That's what the cross, that's what the empty tomb did. Because of the resurrection, because of the the, the empty tomb, we have life. The message of resurrection proclaims that death has been defeated and thus 
If we have experienced resurrection life in Jesus, what does that mean? We also cannot be defeated. Christ is victorious. If we are one with Christ, we too are victorious because greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Now, I alluded to this just a minute ago, but Lee Camp that I quoted, he talks about something called the death paradox. And you may have picked up on this already, but it, it is, it, it's simply this, that the, the cross of Jesus signifies certain things for his disciples. The first is this, is that Christ died in our stead. He died in, in our place, meaning that we no longer have to die as slaves to sin. Does that make sense? Is everybody with me? Okay, so number one, Christ died in our stead. Number two, Christ calls us to die with Him. You see the paradox? There it is right there. When Christ died for us, His atoning sacrifice undid the power of sin in death. So we are no longer slaves to sin. We no longer have to die under the yoke and the slavery of sin. But... Following Christ means that we must be willing to die with Him through sacrifice, through service, through love for the rebellious powers, the world, who have yet to accept His Lordship. Christ died for us so we don't have to die, but yet He says, yeah, take up a cross and die with me. Paradox. One death we definitely don't want. To die without the hope of Christ is the most scary thing in the world. But to die with Christ for the sake of others, that's compelling. That's powerful. You know what enables us to be able to do that? The cross and the empty tomb. The cross proclaims that we no longer need to die as a consequence of our sins, and yet we must die, or at least be willing to do so because of the world's sins. The reason that we are empowered to do all of these things is because of what Jesus did for us. He went to the cross, he bore our sins, he left an empty tomb freeing us from the bondage of death. It all comes back to this. It is because of the cross and the empty tomb. I want that. I want that right there to be what compels us. Why do you come to church? Because of the cross and the empty tomb. Why do you give your money? To pay the bills. You know what? I think we need to stop saying that. Okay? We need to be convicted to not ever say that again during our offering. 
Why do we give our money? We give our money because of the cross and the empty tomb, because of what's been done for us. Why do we drink juice? Why do we eat that weird little piece of bread that kind of looks like a, uh, like a chiclet that has no flavor? Why do we do that? We do that because of the cross and the empty tomb. Why are we baptized? Is it just to become a member of a particular church? No. We are baptized because we die with Christ by taking up our own cross. Because of the cross and the empty tomb. That is compelling. That's the answer that I want you to be able to give to those who might ask why we do them. That's the answer that I want to be able to give. And again, if you know people that are asking these kinds of questions, invite them to come for the next few weeks as we start diving into these things. But now then, I want to circle it back to you just a second. The question is why? Why are you here? Why are you following Christ? And it might be for some of those reasons that I first mentioned. To be honest with you, if it got you here, I don't care. I'm glad. Because it gives us an opportunity to say, yeah, okay. Whatever gets you here is great. Let me expand on why it is so great. Let me show you the power behind why we do these things. Let me show you the compelling reason, what makes these things matter, what makes them tangible and deeply, deeply important to us. Are you here because of the cross and the empty tomb, or are you here for, for some other reason? Again, I don't care what the reason is. But I want to be able to show you that there is a deeper reason. A more holy reason. And when we engage someone on a spiritual level, I, want, I hope we have this answer at the forefront of our conversation. The reason why we have those conversations with people because of the cross and the empty tomb. You see, it should flow out of everything that we do. Motivate everything we do. It's the cross and the empty tomb. Let's pray together.